Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur, here today with Brandon Long. Uh, thanks for dropping by the studio today. Thanks for having me. So, Brandon, you are the um, founder of many startups in the DC area. So, Brandon Long is the product manager for We Together, and he's the brains behind the DMV startup. He is also an integral voice in the DC tech scene. Uh, Brandon, tell me about yourself and your role in DC tech. I guess I'll start all the way back in the beginning. So after I graduated from Holt International Business School, that's where I was doing my master's degree. That one took me to Shanghai and San Francisco. And while I was there, people were like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, D.C. Like, oh, cool. So do you go to White House a lot? I'm like, yeah, I take the long way to work just to check out the White House. <laughs> and people have like these, you know, misperception of what D.C. was like. Or they have that, I guess, stereotype. And with that one's like, when I mentioned, you know, oh, we got like startups in the D.C. metro area, they're like, oh, so is it like nonprofits? Is it social entrepreneurship? Whatever it may be. Like, no, we have like a few sexier ones. Like during the time we had Living Social, which was kind of blowing up. Can't remember the dates that they start, you know, going over the hill. I mean, during the time, you know, we had Living Social. And kind of like I got that a lot as I was going around to people. I was from the DMV. And when I came back, I was like, do you want to let me go ahead and check out the startup scene again and just see how it's like it has progressed? Come back. And I feel like during that time, D.C. was becoming more of a it kind of just came out of the womb. And it's like, you know, starting to find itself a little bit. And by the time I got there, it was like coming on to becoming a toddler. You know, it was like it was starting to age and get its own characteristics, its own personality. So like when I came in, I would say that we didn't have any consumer-facing products. Like, Living Social is, like, really the only one I could think of that's a startup that's technology-focused and that, you know, people would kind of recognize, I guess. It's not like we have a Facebook or Twitter, LinkedIn, nothing like that consumer-facing. A lot of the startups that we had was merging out from other B2B products. So, like, you know, like, of course, GovTech was hot. Education technology was kind of picking up. And, um, like, I guess CRM systems, stuff like that. They start picking up in the area, and of course, cybersecurity. So now you also run meetups in the area, uh, the DMV startup, uh, as well as the DC Tech meetup. You're one of the brains behind that. Uh, can you talk to me about what the meetup scene is like here? Because I know meetup for people that have meetups in their communities around mm -hmm. the country, uh, they're very different. Um, mm -hmm. But the, I, I've been to the DC Tech meetup myself, and uh, I've been to the public library in D.C., the MLK library, and it's just huge. There's right. a lot of people that turn out for it. So can you just talk to me about uh, how organizing the D.C. Tech Meetup happens and, um, you know, how all these people are able to connect at an mm -hmm. event like that? Yeah, so uh, just to be clear, uh, I'm not, I wasn't the brainchild of D.C. Tech Meetup. That was definitely started before I kind of hopped on as a board. But you're also one of the organizers of the D.C. Tech yeah. Meetup. I was until I moved up to New York. So. Okay, all right. So, <laughs> so, so I was there <laughs> for like, yeah, so I was like, I was there for a year. Uh -huh. I'm an alumni, you know. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I won't pull a John Stewart where I just come on stage and we'll be like, hey, Brandon, take the mic. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if, that, if they'll let me do that. Yeah. But. So, yeah, with uh, D.C. Tech Meetup, the way it's organized that we have, I think it's about seven people right now, six or seven. And each person 
takes a month, right? Uh, they pick one month, and then that's the one that they're going to organize. And with that, they're trying to find presenters. They're trying to find maybe the hack of the month or someone to teach something specific. But their goal is to organize the event from start to finish, and everyone kind of hops in and chips in, you know, like wherever they can. Uh, for instance, like 10 Things to Know About DC Tech. That one will get another organizer that will help out and, you know, look for the top 10 things a person needs to know about the DC tech community. And that, you know, like the news that happened that month or maybe weeks prior. And the rest of it is pretty much the organizer when they look for speakers. We try to make sure that we are diverse in that. We're very conscious to make sure that, okay, do we have enough women presenting? Do we have enough people of color presenting? If the person checks both the boxes, that's cool. But we still want to make sure that it's still diverse on the stage and want to make sure that people in the audience no matter who they are they are able to see themselves on stage like oh I could go up there and present and the things that we get probably hundreds a month to you know submit their application because they want to present because we draw on that thing about anywhere between five to six hundred people showing up how do they pick the themes for each event? Like, how do they pick the, the different presenter lineups? So, I, for the theme part, uh, we do that at the beginning of the year. Okay. We're like, okay, cool. Uh, what month do we want to do? You know, what do we want to have this focus? So, for instance, we had a woman in technology. And that one typically kind of falls in summer, like July-ish. And then we have, like, a fun edition where it's, like, you know, like something quirky, cool, fun. And, you know, just trying to make a theme around certain things. And... For those is like for those special edition ones, we whoever's like most passionate about that, they kinda just pick it that one up. And as far as let's say the regular demos just like, okay, cool, who wants to do this? And try to make sure that everyone gets a chance to host and organize. So yeah. Uh, another thing that the organizer does is make sure that um, there's emails being sent out, that there's tweets being sent, so forth. And on day of the uh, event, all the organizers they come in and they try to, you know, help out. Like live tweeting, taking photos, running the mics, making sure everyone knows where to go after the event. So like we'll just go to a bar. But it's also, it, it feels like when you go to a, an event like this, I mean, I've been to other meetups before and they're all kind of structured differently. But mm-hmm. this one, even though it's such a huge event, you feel like you, you are part of a scene, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you create the vibe for this? Like, what is it just the good organization or is it just getting the right people? How, how do you create that that right mix? The very first thing is making sure that you get feedback. Yeah. You can't, it, whether it's like hosting a conference, an event, uh, launching a new product, your own website and app, whatever it may be. The biggest thing is to make sure you get feedback, you know, collecting as much as possible and be able to take that information and do something with it. Mm-hmm. So with that, it's like, okay, cool. We have all these people. What can we do to make this more energetic, more fun, make it more sociable? Not just another, mm-hmm. oh, wait, come, sit, watch, leave. So, you know, like one of the things that we do is that after we do like top 10, we get people to stand up and just greet one another. It's like, hey, my name is Brandon. I'm from this, this, and this. Or, hey, my, jo- my name is George. I do this, this, this. You know, try and get people to kind of talk and meet. The other thing is also kind of like it, it's not just us, but it has to be the entire ecosystem that kind of embraces a certain culture. Like um, you've been in D.C. for a while, right? I've I've actually grown up here and have lived my whole life in oh, the DC area. Yeah. High five to us then. <laughs> I didn't realize you were native. Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah, Northern Virginia technically. But, yeah. You know, I, I still DMV. call myself yeah, D M V. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, so it's like, you know, it's like before like people were like a little bit stiff, a little bit more like uptight. And it's kinda like with the startup community kinda come in, it's like, you know, try and be more relaxed and collaborative. 
and just try and get to meet and know more people, right? So if it wasn't for that, then, you know, it's like us trying to force everyone to be like, hey, you know, just like relax, you know, meet one another, no pressure and stuff like that. It'll be very mechanical. It won't be organic. And that's the thing that I feel like with just DC Tech in general is that, you know, we started kind of embracing more of the, you know, like just kind of chillax a little bit. You know, we're trying to uh, advance ourselves uh, professionally, but also, you know, personally. Try to make sure that, you know, like we get to know people, not just a company, not just a title, but no, this is George. He loves fruit baskets. I don't know if you love fruit baskets, but yeah. Yeah, you can give me one after the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. As a that, gift. That might be a thing. Like, By the way, that's, that's not reciprocity for anyone that's uh, <laughs> taking journalism tabs out there. Um, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that is a big part of it is getting mm-hmm. the right individuals to be part of it and mm-hmm. just take part uh, in going to events and, and um, you know showcasing what they do. Um, whether that's speaking to crowds or whether that's just going and showing up to, you know, the bar afterwards and, mm-hmm. you know, grabbing a drink with uh, colleagues after work. Um, so let's talk about your, your work with DMV Startup mm-hmm. and uh, We Together. Um, would you like to introduce We Together and what you're doing with We Together and uh, your work also with DMV Startup and how you've created kind of a, a portal or repository of information mm-hmm. for startups in the area? Yeah, so I guess I'll start with We Together first. So We Together, um, we are a agency. We do a lot of branding and tech and product development, specifically in like webs and apps. So yeah, so um, kind of re-kicked the company back in, uh, I want to say July or so. So yeah, so originally it was branded as Guanxi Innovations, but uh, during after I launched Grindhub, I decided to just kind of put my energy in that one and start with agency work. And then down the road, I was like, okay, do you want to let me go back down the agency route? And they kind of reopened it, and we re re it as we together. Marketing agency, right? Uh, it was originally marketing agency, yeah. correct. So, yeah, so then we kind of pivot over to, well, when we say marketing, it's, like, more than just, like, how we do social media. It's more like collecting the data mm-hmm. and using, like, real market research to get, you know, like, you know, like, answers for, like, customer insights, product fe- products, uh, features, stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's what Guanxi Innovations did. And then we pivot into, you know, we together, where we help clients try to, you know, build out their dream app or whatever, maybe, but build it in, like, a very uh, efficient way. So making sure that, you know, it's like, okay, is the data there to back up whatever is the new e-commerce platform that you're trying to make? Or did you, you know, collect customer insights before trying to build this app? Did you do any rapid prototyping? Whatever it may be. So trying to make sure that, you know, when clients come to us that, you know, there is a level of data and transparency. So, yeah, so that's uh, what we together. And uh, right now we're building our own app called Yumhack, and we're hoping to launch that one in the next uh, in the next month or so. Yeah, let's talk about Yumhack. So yeah, sure. uh, I, I think you sent me a link for it before we started recording, and uh, I saw that you were uh, looking to get recipes for uh, various fast food dishes. Yeah. Talk to me about this. Yeah, so basically uh, with that one, uh, are you familiar with secret menus? Yes. Yes. So for, I guess, our listeners that are not familiar with that, uh, secret menus are kind of like those um, – I guess community created dishes at like popular fast food. So, In and Out Burger is a popular one where they have a secret menu and it's like animal style. So they put like chili or cheese and or like a whole bunch of stuff in it. And you'll find that with a lot of different uh, fast food chains, you know, they'll create like specialty drinks that's not on the menu, but they could definitely make it in store. So with us, we're like, okay, cool. But there's like there's like a lot of websites that host these type of information, but not a really good app. And right now there's like, I think on Android, like 
at most like four that kind of does it but they have really ugly design or they're catered to something very specific so like starbucks there's like a few different clone what's the starbucks secret item uh secret menu item uh one of it is like a free pebble frappuccino so it's like a very free really with cereal no no, no. <laughs> i wish it did i wish it did <laughs> that'd be so, interesting yeah. yeah so for that one they um put like a lot of different type of berries in that one I can't really remember the recipe off the top of my head, but I'll forward that to you once I look look it up. Or you can use it when you you know download the app. So you can go you can go to any of these um, shops, and so it, who do you ask for for this? Do you ask the barista, or are you do you have to ask the? Is, is there somebody that you have to to specifically uh, contact at this at the shop so that they know that? So uh, since a lot of these are kind of like made up from the community, uh, in the app we'll pretty much show you how to order it. Okay. So, like, you know, like, what's something you have to say beforehand in order for them to make it? So, like, if it's, like, let's say, you know, French fries, double deep fried or something like that, then you just, like, oh, just double deep fried my French fries or something like that from, like, uh, McDonald's. Yeah. Or, like, you know, if, like, Starbucks, it, another, uh, I guess another Starbucks one, is actually tell them what is in it and then how much is a portion, and then they'll just make it right there. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had friends that worked in the restaurant industry, and... uh you know, sometimes when they I'd go out to dinner with them, they would order in restaurant speak. They'd be like, "Oh, I want that burger, but sixty nine the cheese and or sorry, eighty six the cheese, and uh, <laughs> I want to make sure that I have the and the, like speak letters that I have no idea mm-hmm. what that what the the code is." But apparently, the um, the server knows that because right. it's just kind of industry slang. So uh, I take it you're really familiar with this because you grew up as a restaurant baby, right? Yeah. Um, talk to me about how growing up in a restaurant influenced you as an entrepreneur. Yeah, so basically, um, I guess to uh, clear up what restaurant baby is, I kind of coined the term for like people that grew up in a restaurant. Like, you don't have to actually be born in one. That'd be a little awkward. <laughs> but it's like, you know, for people that, you know, that spend most of their life in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, like, my parents, they're refugees from Vietnam. where a mix of Chinese and Vietnamese. But, like, you know, they came from Vietnam. And for them, uh, they opened up a restaurant. And... I want to say the restaurant was, like, maybe one year older than I was, if that. So, like, you know, uh, kind of grew up in the restaurant, basically. Most of my time was spent there, not at home, not, I don't know, not at the playground, not, you know, out in the park or something like that. A lot of it was spent there because, you know, my parents were working, I want to say, maybe from 9 to 5, 9 to 9. Was the or, restaurant in the D.C. area? Uh, the restaurant was in Stafford, so about— Stafford, okay. Yeah, 40 minutes south of D.C. Mm-hmm. driving. So, yeah, so there— uh, it's funny, like, on the cash register, we had, like, this little booth that, you know, my brother and I would just sit in there and play. So, yeah. And, like, you know, we have pillows there. We have our toys. Stuff like that. Yeah, that's the thing. That kids can make really any environment fun, even offices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, uh, you know, growing up there, it's kind of like the customers, especially our long-term patrons, mm-hmm. they would, you know, they would recognize us. And, you know, they it's kind of like they grew up with us in this sense because, you know, they've seen us grow. Because, like, they if they came in when I was a baby, they're like, oh, my God, Brandon, you've grown so much. Because they will come, like, maybe 10 years, 5 years, 6 years, 12 years. So they'll, like, kind of be seeing me there. And even now, you know, my parents, like, still have the restaurant. People still recognize them. Because, mm-hmm. I guess, in the area, there wasn't that many Chinese restaurants. But then again, there wasn't that many different restaurants to begin yeah. with. So they were the so, face yeah. of that business, really. Exactly. So um, what you didn't answer is is the one part that I wanted to really yeah. click, uh, hone in on, which is 
did that influence you as an entrepreneur to yeah. be around uh, restaurateurs? Yeah. So basically, uh, for me, because I grew up in that environment, I started learning all the different things that went into the business. So like operations, process, people, um, how to take feedback and stuff like that. So I don't know, like for me, I feel like because of that environment, I learned how to be bootstrap. I learned how to be, you know, creative. I learned how to, you know, stretch a very shoestring budget. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I actually, um, my grandparents owned a restaurant in oh, yeah. uh, Western PA, and I, I think there is something to having um, relatives that grow up with a business mm-hmm. owner mindset that influences you in a different way. And, and it, maybe it's not always apparent because sometimes you, you might have had parents that are employees for an organization, mm-hmm. but there is kind of an independence and autonomy there that isn't necessarily in um, a lot of other families. So yeah, thanks for speaking about that. Yeah. For me, I feel like I had to grow up a little bit faster to try to mm-hmm. keep up with the restaurant. Bit. What so was it? Uh, was it a sit down restaurant? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was sit down. It had delivery and mm-hmm. it had carry out. So trying to manage those three different things, mm-hmm. it was try was much a, of a headache. And did did your parents have you working in the restaurant at all, or was it just kind of like growing up there and then they'd help you have you like help out with like odd chores and things? <laughs> yeah. So um. I guess, quote unquote, I wasn't working uh-huh. per se, but like you'll see me there busting tables, you'll see right. me taking orders. I'll answer your phone, take down the order, put it in the back, make sure you know it gets coded in and staple it, stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah. Um, one thing you talked about earlier, which I wanted to circle back to, was mm-hmm. uh, diversity in the Washington, D.C. tech scene. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you've been a strong advocate for getting more diversity in the area. Um, your work with Technicolor DC, which is, for those who don't know, it's made up of a DMV startup, black female founders, color of tech, uh, Latinos in tech, and digital Africans. Or Africans. Um, can you just talk about what Technicolor DC is uh, trying to do, what their mission is? Yeah, so basically, it's really similar to DC Femtech, just trying to group all the different uh, organizations that try and promote people of color within mm-hmm. their you know communities and really try to make sure that you know we're fostering like a community amongst all of us make sure you know like at the very least try to promote each other's events yeah try not overlap one another and so forth is this like a grassroots movement or how did how is this organized so we pretty much kind of like invited a bunch of people that we knew that you know had the organizations that was trying to push for that and we're like hey cool you know you're trying to you know get more latinos and technology you're trying to get more you know africans and technology you're trying to get more black americans whatever it may be and just try and pull us together and try and you know raise together not like separately where you know like you saw it back in the day where people had their own little silos here and there and they didn't really interact so we try to make sure that you know we bring all these different people together and try to rise together because it doesn't really work if um you try to do it just for your own right so yeah it's better when you have strength in numbers excellent and then um let's talk about you know, what can DC do to be more inclusive towards having diversity in, in the tech sector? Because, um, you know, we don't want to run the risk of, of being um, kind of the stereotype of what Silicon Valley is, right? right? Um, so, wh- I mean, what can DC do and what things are happening right now that DC is doing to promote inclusiveness? Yeah, so uh, one of the biggest things that, you know, I kind of saw was that something as small as, let's say, a job description. So job description is written in certain people's lenses mm-hmm. so like you know they have to have a bachelor's degree they must have a you know mba or you know mba is preferred or they have to have these amount 
of uh, work experience or whatever it may be. And it's kind of like when you put certain, I guess, barriers up, you won't see it as barriers. You see it as a standard. But if someone else has the type of qualifications, but they see that, you know, they don't meet like maybe three out of six of those criteria, but they are able to definitely do that job, it deters them. It deters like certain groups from, you know, pursuing that. And for that one's like, okay, let's go and look at a job description from a different lens. Are you looking for literally just you in a different color? Are you looking for you in a different gender? Or what is that that you're trying to look? So another thing that's also kind of more, that kind of like breaks down even deeper than just a job description is a culture. Mm-hmm. It's, okay, what is it that you're trying to, you know, quantify as diversity? People have different definitions of diversity. So diversity is like, oh, it's just a black version of me or they're a Nigerian version of me or whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, is that really diversity? Because that's not diversity of thinking. That's not diversity of education or ability or whatever it may be. So it's like for you to, as a company, to define what diversity means. So let's say you do want, let's say, more, you know, people of color. It's like, okay, which areas are you trying to really try to really grow? And is the uh, culture, and, you know, the company culture, is that embracing that? Because you could bring in the people, but if they don't feel welcome, then, you know, they might just leave in like six months, a year, whatever it may be. Or they might just be like, okay, I'm just take care as long as possible and do the most minimal amount of work. And then, you know, that gives a reflection, especially if they're the first, you know, Latina in the company. Say, like, oh, that will give bad impression for the next Latina comes in or whatever it may be. So it's making sure that there is a culture there, you know, that does embrace it. And sometimes, honestly, for me, it has to start from both the top and the bottom. Make sure that they're both kind of like a little bit more open-minded and able to kind of like see the other person from their eyes, not just from, oh, this is my lens, this is my perception, and try to push on everyone else. It also definitely helps when the leadership is also diverse as well. Because you can't really convince a company where all the leadership is white males say, oh, yeah, we definitely need more females. We're like, okay, sure. But they won't believe it. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you touched upon culture specifically in uh, in companies. Um, do you think culture is something that you can cultivate or is it something that's kind of inborn or, or native to, you know, whatever the founder's personalities are like? So for that one, it kind of comes back to the type of lenses that they're wearing. So let's say, you know, like when let, we'll start with like a small startup, they're going to reach out to their friends, right? Like a lot of people, they're like, okay, let me just reach out to my current network. And if their current network is pretty much everyone that looks like them, then the companies tend to turn out to be like them as well. So, like, if, if you look at, let's say, Silicon Valley, if they reach out to the network, it's probably, like, oh, this dude was really great. I got to bring him in. Turns out he was white. And if you kind of just don't think about color, then, you know, it's like the next person could be white. The next person could be white. The next person could be white. Because you put pretty much yourself out there and try to get people that are just like you, which might actually just be a cultural thing as well. So that you'll see more people that, you know, are more homogeneous in type of diversity. So, yeah. So I would definitely say that a lot of it's kind of like not really thinking about branching outside of that. Not because, like, you know, like you go to who you know first. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with us today, Brandon. Tell people how they can get in contact with you. Yeah. So um, 
easiest way to Google me, Brandon T. Long, uh, Long, L-U-O-N-G. You'll, that's the same thing I have on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, email is just Brandon at WeTogether.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Joy. All right. We'll catch you next time on DC Entrepreneur. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dc-entrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode. And thanks for listening.